Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, October 7th. Before we begin today's show, I just have to thank all of you Crack Rackets listeners who took the time to reach out to me yesterday, wish me a happy birthday. It was the greatest gift I could have asked for to hear from so many of you, the support and the thanks you have for the work we are doing here at Crack Rackets. I will let all of you listeners know I was fortunate enough to be taken out on the town by my Crack Rackets partners in crime, Dalton Thieneman and Daniel Westoff. Last night, I was able to share some of the messages you all sent with them as well. And again, it meant the world to us so sincerely on behalf of all of us here at CRHQ, on behalf of me in particular, as it was my birthday. Thank you for all of your support. Uh, You guys are obviously the reason we are doing this. We want to provide all of you with the information you deserve, with the sort of coverage you deserve as fans of the tennis world. With all of that said, four words we don't often associate with one another. Indian Wells in October. That's what we all get to experience over the next 10 days, the 1,000-level event kicking off here on Thursday. We did have some main draw matches on Wednesday, qualifying throughout the week as well, but it's all main draw singles and doubles matches moving forward, of course. Fascinating storylines across the board. You look at the men's field. There's not a single returning Indian Wells champion amongst the group. No Dominic team in this field. No Juan Martin Del Potro. Obviously, no Federer, Rafa, Djokovic as well. We talk about the generational shifts that are happening week in, week out on the tours. The main draw here at Indian Wells epitomizing that fact. And you look at some of the players making their Indian Wells debuts here at this year's event. Yannick Sinner, first time he's going to be playing the event. Casper Ruud, first time he's going to be playing the main draw of the event. Obviously, there are younger guys, Brandon Nakashima and Jensen Brooksby, Sebastian Korda for the Americans as well. Holger Rune, Carlos Alcaraz, all making their Indian Wells debuts, but again, not a single returning champion. Even the guys who have been here before, Zverev, Medvedev, Rublev, Berrettini, Tsitsipas, they haven't had overwhelming successes at Indian Wells, and you know most of them have played five or much fewer times than that, and so again, Indian Wells, men's draw, wide open, epitomizing the generation. Well, is it wide open? That might be a bit of hyperbole, but certainly an inexperienced field as it relates to Indian Wells as such. It is going to be a fascinating dynamic, of course. It's a similar dynamic on the women's side, particularly with no Ashley Barty, no Naomi Osaka in the field, no Serena Williams in the field either. And you look at this Indian Wells women's draw, only four returning champions amongst the group. Now, you're cheating, but you do have to include Kim Kleisters, who won the event back in 2003 and 2005. You also have Vika Azarenka, a two-time champion, 2012-2016. You've got Simona Halep, the 2015 Indian Wells champion. And then you've got Bianca Andreescu, who, of course, won the event the last time it was played and is defending those title points here at this year's event. But, I mean, across the board, I don't think any of us consider Kim Kleischer's a favorite to win the event. Are Vika and Halep's favorites? Well, neither of them is in the top 10 of uh, the DraftKings odds for this event. Top 10 favorites uh, right now to capture the title. Only Vika is in the top 10 of the, uh, or excuse me, Andrescu's plus 2200. That's tied for 10th. So I guess she's on that list. They give uh, Tennis Abstract singles forecast gives Vika a 4.2% chance of, of winning this event. That's ninth highest, but again, of the four returning champions, Azarenka, uh, and Azarenka 
Andrescu, Halep, and Kleisters. Vika, the only one to crack the top 10 women's favorites list, according to Tennis Abstract's forecast. As such, again, late season 1000 level event. What isn't there to be excited about? And what I want to do on today's show is two things. A, talk about the main draw matches we saw unfold on Wednesday was entirely women's round of 128. And, you know, there were some fascinating, fascinating matches that Madison Keys, who I think lost seven points in her first nine games, building a six love, three love lead, ends up winning that match six love, seven five. Looked good, obviously, through the first half, but that was fascinating. We got to see Katie Volinets in action, the former USTA girls 18s national champion over in San Diego, knocked out by Petra Martich, but it was certainly fun. Other results I want to uh, touch on at the beginning, but then I want to offer you all a sneak peek, or I suppose just a look at what you may be missing out on if you're not a Crack Rackets Patreon member. Now, our Patreon family throughout the duration of this Indian Wells are going to be receiving something we call our Match of the Day segments. And what it is, is me extensively previewing my favorite match of the day. That means running through two players, you know, my favorite match, going through each of the players' stats, going through the keys to the matchup, tactically, what's going to be the difference, what does player X need to do to earn a victory, what should player Y do to to respond and what can they do on their own to earn a victory in the match and it'll vary between a men's match a women's match every single day after today it will be exclusive to our patreon feed but to both entice some of you listeners who may not always be crack ra- or already be crack rackets patreon members or just perhaps to let you know what you are missing out on what i want to do today is offer a match of the day segment for all of our listeners going to talk about our nightcap stevie johnson the last winner at indian wells prior to this year's event taking on talented young spaniard alejandro davidovich fokina i think that match could be fascinating i think that match might have upset alert at least according to the odds, to the percentages written all over. I want to break down that match extensively on today's podcast as well. Of course, quickly before I get into any of that, enough plugs. I'll just say briefly, you all know these podcasts made possible because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. I hope they will forgive me, but tennis-point.com, the promo code is CR15 with that in mind. Let's start by talking about those Indian Wells day one results. I also, by the way, want to give you my preliminary thoughts on the draws because we never did extensive draw previews for this match. We did talk about the most interesting ATP players, talk about how this event impacts the WTA race to Guadalajara, the year-end finals on our Great Shot podcast feed. Those conversations with Amy Lundy and David Kane can be found over on that feed. You can find them on our website cracked rackets as well. But again, I didn't talk about the draws, so I want to do that a little bit on today's show as well. You look, though, at our day one results. And again, in terms of main draw play, it was exclusively women's round of 128 matches. In terms of you know, the most notable was certainly that Madison Keys Kaya Kanepi performance. Again, four keys to go up six love, three love, have dropped three total points. She displayed that dominant front foot power tennis that, of course, propelled her to a Grand Slam final, propelled her to multiple Grand Slam semifinals, top 10 ranking in the world. All of that talent is still there for Madison Keys. And, of course, it's worth remembering Keys 
was one of the players who unfortunately had COVID early on in this pandemic and, you know, then dealt with various injuries as well and just has never really found her footing, played a consistent period of tennis over the past 18 months. You look for keys now, though, here of late. She has been able to get back on court with some consistency, really, since the start of June. She makes quarterfinals in Berlin there. Well, I guess it starts third round for her, Roland Garros. She then makes quarterfinals in Berlin before getting knocked out 7-6 in the third by eventual champion, Ludmilla Samsonova. Round of 16 for her in Wimbledon before knocked out by an inform Victoria Golubic. It's certainly been a disappointing hard court stretch for Madison Keys. She's lost five consecutive matches on the hard court entering this event. Losses to Shui Zhang, Rebecca Marino, Petra Kvitova, Sloane Stevens, and then Sasnovich in Chicago just a week ago. This is a good win over an informed Kaya Kanepi, and of course for Kanepi, she's coming off of a 25K win in uh, at the ITF level about two weeks prior. She had lost to Teichman 6-5 and five in Chicago, but Look, Kanepi's played really good hardcore tennis here all season long. And so for Keys to get this victory for her to, you know, win, I believe it's, I want to say, 70% of her first serve points. And you look for her in this match, Madison Keys overall, uh, it is 72% of her first serve points, making 69% of her first serve. She wins 62% of her second serve points. Now, a puzzling number, she won 44% of her first serve returns, 40, uh, excuse me, 50 per, uh, 6% of her first serve return points, only 45% of her second serve return points, but created 12 breakpoint chances for herself, converted on six of them. Certainly, you know, again, she was playing so definitively, just hitting the ball so cleanly. And, you know, the high bouncing, slow hard courts of Indian Wells give Madison Keys a bit more time to set her feet, get after the ball. Uh, she played well. And there was no denying that and just was aggressive on the Kanepi return, of course. It was definitely a concern to see her struggle there at the end and to see her, you know, again, the moment the match kind of got tight, you saw some errors creep in and she wasn't playing as freely as she was through the first hour of the match. But you look for Madison uh, Keys in her career at Indian Wells. And of course, we haven't played here since 2019, but she's made the round of 16 before back in 2017. First round loss or round of 64 losses for her. I should say, to Danielle Collins and Mona Bartel uh, over the past two rounds. Never advanced past the round of 16. That's surprising. I do feel like this surface should play well for her, but of course, four keys. Worth remembering, yeah, she's been a part of our lives forever. Still only 26 years old, and so... So good, good result for Madison Keys to advance to the round of 64 over in Indian Wells. Of course, again, you look at some of the other results we saw on the day in terms of the three set matches. There were, I believe, four of them on the day. You look, Jasmine Paulini takes the first set six love over Chicago quarterfinalist Mai Hantama. Hantama, the 23-year-old Japanese woman, continuing her exceptional form, getting that second set 6-3. But Paulini, who earned a first WTA, or earned a uh, WTA title, excuse me, a few weeks ago, continues her good form, 6-2 in the third. She advances, you look, for Paulini now, 62nd in the points race, but perhaps most impressively for her, up to a new career high now, 56 in the live rankings, 25 years old. She's going to get to play whatever schedule she wants to play in 2022. That's about all you can ask for as a veteran in that point of her career. Of course, good win for Marta Kostyuk. 
Tricky matchup always when you're t- facing An Shui Zhang, but of course for Kostyuk, able to hold out in the end that power tennis wins through 6-3, 1-6-6-2. She advances to the round of 64, where now Kostyuk is going to have herself a tricky match, I believe. Kostyuk matches up, yes, with number 11 seed uh, Simona Halep. That's one of your must-watches of the round of 64. Your other three setters, Sloane Stevens, tricky win, 6-7-7-5-6-1 over Heather Watt. Watson. Look, Sloane Stevens has been sneaky good here down the home stretch of 2021. She's not obviously top 10 form, but she's certainly back to her top 50 form of late. Round of 16 at Roland Garros, third round Wimbledon, three set loss to the eventual San Jose champion Collins in the round of 16, three set loss to Sabalenka in Montreal, three set loss to Kerber at the U.S. Open. Now the loss to Zidancic first round in Chicago. You don't love that, especially because I know that's an event that she values in particular, but good bounce back here against Heather Watson. Now she's got a tricky one. She's going to take on fellow countrywoman number 19 seed Jess Pagula in the round of 64. Crazy that Pagula's the one seeded now. That's how the dynamics have shifted, by the way. This might be Jess Pagula's first main draw at Indian Well. No, it, it might not be, but it might also be. That's the crazy part. Now she's the seeded one. That's how things have changed, folks, since the last time we played Indian Wells. Your last three-set win, disappointing loss certainly for young American Ann Lee. Feels like she had that one uh, against Misaki Doi, but Doi just too tricky. Six two five seven seven five. She advanced. You look at the straight set wins. I already mentioned Madison Keys. Good win for Shelby Rogers. Your only other American besides those Keys, Rogers, Stevens, earning wins on the day uh, for Rogers. Impressive seven six six two win over Angelina Kalanina. Just survived the first strike tennis of Kalanina in the first set, and then wore her down as that match went on. But you look for some of the other Americans. Tough one for Alicia Park. She gets knocked out by Ronxa Roos, 0-1. Sue C, 1-6 over Madison Brangle. Martin Sova continues her good form, 2-6 win. That's a good showing, though. From San Diego champion Ashlyn Kruger. I mentioned the Martich win over Volley Nets. Ooh, I missed a three-setter. Magda Lynette, three sets over Rebecca Petter- Pedersen. You also had straight set wins from Samsonova, from Alize Cornet, impressive over an inform. Uh, uh, an inform Elena Gabriela Russa, Putin Seva advances in straight sets. Irina Camilla Bagu, good win over Fiona Farrow, who struggled this season, six two seven six. But ultimately, again, those were your day one results. You have a bunch more round of one twenty eight matches here scheduled on Thursday. Bunch of fun ones across the board. I mean, certainly the ones you'd highlight: Van Drusova versus Golubic. That should be exciting. Uh, you've got. I think Konya Shmidova, two players close in the rankings, but I think that's a match Anna Konya should take fairly comfortably. Claire Liu versus Anna Kalinskaya, uh, that should be shoot super, super fun. And then, of course, one of the nightcaps on court number two, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time, Amanda Inisimova taking on fellow talented young American Katrina Scott. Those are your women's matchups on the day. Men's, plenty of fun ones as well. And of course, there are certainly some interesting qualifying results to pick from. Eubanks's come from behind three-set win over Stefan Kozlov was a bunch of fun. Uh, Vukic knocking off for Tangela, one and four. I have my eyes on that. Good for Govananda to take a set off Chem Ikel. Good for Ty Kwiatkowski gets a set off Botik Vandesen Skulp. Uh, but ultimately, you look at the main draw matches here today. Tommy Paul taking on Feliciano Lopez. That feels like a match he should win. 
Popperin, Kesmenovich, third set written all over it. Mackie versus the Duck, two guys in very good form. If you're bold, you take Mackie, who's still the slight favorite, but obviously the Duck's been excellent of late. Garon versus Vanderson, Sculp, must watch. Pospisil, uh, obviously, versus J.J. Wolf, must watch. And then we'll get to my thoughts on Davidovich, Fokina versus Stevie Johnson. But those are your Indian one-day-one results. Those are the matches here that are on Thursday Quickly on the draws, where they stand, where I'm at. You look at Tennis Abstracts, Projections, DraftKings Sportsbook. Here are the top 10 women's favorites by the odds right now. Radakanu, your U.S. Open champion, who, of course, round of 16 at Wimbledon, finals at the Chicago 125K, a couple quarterfinals elsewhere as well. She's been excellent in all of her pro tennis matches. I don't know if I'm ready to declare her the favorite, but she is, according to Oddsmakers, plus 650. Muguruza, coming off of that Chicago title, only played three matches, but an impressive three-set win for her over Jabour in the final. She had match points on uh, Ashley Bar- uh, on Naomi Osaka at the Australian Open. She went, made the finals of both Middle East uh, major uh, hardcourt events, wins the, a title at one of them. She's been excellent all season long. She probably should have, you know, they play that Krejcikova match a hundred times. She probably wins them 90 of them. That just happened to be one of the 10 that she lost. She's your second favorite, and I think that makes sense. Only player top 10 in both hold and break percentage. She's plus 1,100. Then you get to Pliskova, Krejcikova, Sviantek, all at plus 1,200. And Pliskova's been so excellent, really, since making that run to the Wimbledon finals. I believe it was, what, semifinals for her in both Montreal and Cincinnati. Krejcikova's, what, like 30-6 and six since uh, winning a title the week before the French Open. Uh, of course, Sviantek, the bastion of consistency. You get why she's in the mix, despite it being her first, and this is probably Krejcikova's first Indian Wells main draw as well. Again, times are changing, folks. Times are changing, but of course you've got then Sakari plus thirteen hundred, Jabour plus eighteen hundred, Rabakina eighteen hundred, Pagula twenty to one, Fernandez and Drescu, Svitolina all twenty two to one odds. You look at the tennis abstract forecast. Pretty similar across the board. They have Radakanu a little lower. They have her at six. The only notable outlier. And that Conteve, who's won 12 of her last 13 matches, won the title in Cleveland the week before the U.S. Open, three-set loss to Sviantec at the U.S. Open, then wins the title, excuse me, in Ostrava. According to Tennis Abstract's forecast, she's the second favorite to win this event at 7.1%. Now, it's worth noting only Muguruza's in double digits at 12.4% as the favorite. Everyone else... Big cluster between that 7.1% of Conteve and the 4.1% of Sviantec in 10th. It's, it's a toss-up. You look across the board. I do think you look at the quarter four, Krejcikova and Muguruza in particular, their seeds. Yeah, Georgie, if she plays exceptional tennis, can hit anyone off the court. But, you know, I think in Zidanezic, Kasakina, Kerber, Goff, Bedosa, those are a lot of players who play physical matches. And I think Krejcikova, Muguruza, at this stage of their careers, with the way they've been playing, they're able to match that physicality. And then they have the power advantage as well. So I do think that's the portion of the draw where we're most likely to see the seeds stick along. I mean, this is the most brutal section of the draw, though. Sakari, Cerebes, Tormo, Collins, Jabour, all the four seeds in one section of the draw. I mean, you also have an Andrescu, Conteve, Pliskova section. That's not exactly the easiest four seeds in the world, but that top quarter, that Carolina Pliskova quarter, absolutely brutal. 
from a seed perspective. Again, you could argue on recent form that it's not Pliskovic or Sakari, but that it's Cerebes, Tormo, or Collins who have been the better players on hard courts this season. And of course, you've got Own Jabour in the mix who might have been the best player of them all here this season. I mean, that quarter absolutely loaded. You look at the bottom half of the draw. That's, you know, it's interesting for Radakanu because she, in her immediate section, she's got Sasnovich first, then the winner of Kostyuk Halep. You don't love that. You know, that's tricky matchups for her. Would face a potential Kvitova as a Ranka as a round of 16 opponent, or excuse me, maybe round of 32 opponent. No, round of 16 opponent. If she gets through that, I mean, I don't know. I, I do think. For Radakanu, it, it's not, you know, again, I don't think it's as bad as the top corner. We don't know. I mean, Halep looked better at the U.S. Open. There's no denying that, and that is a tough physical matchup for Radakanu to get tested and go from a potential Halep to the power tennis of Kvitova or Azarenka, who obviously on this surface certainly going to have more time to set and swing through their balls. It's it's a tricky section, no doubt, for Radakanu, but you know, you look at this section, Mertens, Pagula, Svitolina, Kirstea, that bottom court. You probably like that section the most of the—they're not quarters, of the eighths. Of all of the eighths, that's probably the most opportune eighth, um, but that's a fascinating one as well because Mertens, Pagula, toss-up, and then the winner of that versus potential Svitolina— toss-up. That's a really, really fun uh, quarter of the draw. Again, the Svitolina quarter, who's defending semifinal points. It's worth remembering. And then you look up and down the board. Benchich, Rogers, round of 64, power tennis at its finest. But this is a tricky section. Rabakina, Fernandez, Teichman, who of course made the Cincinnati final. You've got gold medalist Belinda Benchich, Iga Fiontek, the two-seed in this section as well. You've got Anastasia Pavelchenkova, Yelena Ostapenko lingering here as well. Yulia Putin-Seva coming off of a newer Sultan final, Madison Keys in this section of the draw as well. These are the two quarters. I would say it's the Pliskova quarter and the Sviantec quarter that are the most difficult, and it's obviously a bit oxymoronical as they are your number one and two seeds. But those are my thoughts on the women's draw in terms of, you know, again, looking at the men's draw, where they are at. Uh, it, it's so tough to say because, again, there's no Federer. There's no Djokovic. There's no Nadal. There are a lot of names we're so accustomed to seeing missing uh, right now. But, of course, given his title at the U.S. Open, it is not a surprise at all to learn that Daniil Medvedev is the favorite according to both DraftKings and according to, of course, the tennis abstract formula as well. And you look uh, for Daniil Medvedev here right now. He's a prohibitive favorite according to uh, the tennis abstract formula 33 i believe or excuse me 31.5% favorite he's also the plus 175 in terms of futures odds favorite you look second in both locations zverev slight leads over ct pass he's plus 500 according to the odds 16.2% chance according to the singles forecast ct plus plus 700 12.3% chance respectively then you get to the rublev tier plus 1300 9.9% chance to win then things get funky. They have Berrettini at 20 to 1 odds, and they have, you know, that's fifth according to DraftKings Sportsbook. He's seventh, 3% according to Tennis Abstract. They then have DraftKings, Sinner, Hercots, FAA, Rude, all at 28 to 1. All of those guys somewhere between, you know, 2% and 3.8% in the Tennis Abstract forecast. I think the tiers are about right. 
Medvedev's your favorite, even though he hasn't historically had success at Indian Wells because just good luck beating him at a hard on a hard court at this point. Zverev's earned the nod to be that number two guy by form. He nearly defeated Djokovic to set up a Medvedev-Zverev U.S. Open final. He won Cincinnati. He won the gold medal at the Olympics. He's in that two slot. Tsitsipas, just by being virtue of the success he's had at Masters events compared to the rest of the field, is three. Then, yeah, sure, Rublev, fine. I have no problem with him at four. And then it's a toss-up. It's your flavor. Do you prefer Sinner? Do you prefer Berrettini, Hubi Hurkacz, who, when playing the best, can beat the best and has made a round of 16 at Indian Wells before? I like the tiers here. I like the way it's broken down. I think the tennis abstract formula, the odds that they're so in sync is indicative of the fact that, yeah, they're pretty clear tiers on the men's side. That said, the margins between those tiers are not very thick. And that is what could lead to a potentially chaotic and super exciting Indian Wells uh, over the next 10 days. But with all of that said, I do want to get into our match of the day segment because, again, this is a preview of what our Patreon family can expect each and every day throughout the 2021 Indian Wells. Each night I'm going to record a segment naming my favorite match of the day. And in these match of the day, day segments. I'm going to talk about each player's recent stats, their history of success at both Indian Wells, but at Masters events on hard courts, their success against top 50, top 100 opponents, break down all of the numbers, talk through the tactics, offer a prediction as well. The match of the day here on Thursday is one of our nightcaps. And of course, given the time I'm recording this podcast, that's also part of the reason this is our match of the day. Of course, I'm off schedule here. It was my birthday yesterday. Not that that's a valid excuse, but I feel like you can use that. You know, you get that excuse once every 365 days. I'm going to cash in that excuse right now. But you look, you know, again, from a match of the day perspective, I do think this one has all the makings of a potential toss-up. And you look, we'll start with Tennis Abstract's forecast. Davidovich Fokina, 57.7% favorite to Stevie Johnson's 42.3%. You look via our friends at DraftKings, Stevie Johnson, plus 125 to Davidovich Fokina's minus 155 Fairly thin margins across the board. The numbers, the you know odds makers, all suggesting this match may be a toss-up. And you look at the rankings right now. You look at the numbers. We'll start with Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. He has ascended up the rankings here in 2021. You look at what Davidovich Fokina has been able to accomplish overall on the season. Currently ranked number 43, reached a new career high, number 32, at the end of August here this year. You look for him overall 26-21 and 21 here on the season. Of course, he started the season out, uh, unfortunately, contracting COVID. Wasn't able to go play in Australia, but quickly on a, went on a run to make up for those points. Quarterfinal for him in Montpellier. He gets wins in Rotterdam, in Marseille, in Dubai, in Marbella, before making a Masters quarterfinal in Monte Carlo, beating a returning to the tour Berrettini, beating Alex Diemenauer before having to retire after a drop in the first set 7-5 to Stefano Tsitsipas. He then makes a semifinal in Estoril and follows that up with another round of 16 in Rome, beats Dimitrov, beats Nori before getting knocked out by Djokovic, makes the quarterfinals at Roland Garros, his first quarterfinals at a major in his career. Since then, though, it's been a struggle. And you look for Davidovich Fokina since the end of the Austria, uh, excuse me, of Roland Garros. I believe he is what? Let's see, three and three plus five, uh, two and five. He is 
yeah, 5-8 and eight since the end of Roland Garros. You look for him during that stretch of time. He's won two matches at only one event. That was in Tokyo. He beat Sosa. He beat Millman in three sets before bowing out to Novak Djokovic. You look at him since the Olympics. He's lost five of his last six, and that includes losses to Isner, and Hercots in Canada and Cincinnati, which maybe you can write those two off, but the five-set loss to Trungaliti in the first round of the U.S. Open, you don't love that. Three sets with Jill Simone, even in a win, you don't love that for Davidovich Fokina, and then losses to Baslish Vili and Benoit Pair. He just has struggled of late, and he struggled across the board on serve in particular. You've seen a drop in his effectiveness in his first serve percentage, but in particular, his second serve brutalized over that stretch of time. You look for him on the season, he's won 47.8% of his second serve points since the end of the Olympics. That number at 42% uh, for Davidovich Fokina, dropping 5% effectiveness is just not going to cut, and you look for him on the stats leaderboard uh, for Davidovich Fokina. He's seen his hold percentage plummet amongst top 50 players right now. Davidovich Fokina ranks 48th amongst the top 50 in hold percentage. His number right now, 73.3%. That leads only Nicolas Basilashvili and Benoit Pair. By the way, two guys who beat him over the past couple of weeks. Now, you look for him by break percentage. It's been a lot better for Davidovich Fokina, and he was a guy who was top five and over that 30% number for much of the season, but even that number has dipped for him. 29.3% now is his break percentage over the season, and while that number is still good for seventh amongst top 50 players, again, he's dropped from fourth to seventh here this year. And you look for uh, Davidovich Fokina, again, that break percentage now down to, uh, or that break percentage over the last, since the end of the Olympics, uh, is under 22%. And he's just, he's been a different player. And you look for him overall now on the season. He's 19 and 16, or excuse me, you look for him overall now here in the season, eight and 10 for him. In hard court matches, he you know made quarterfinal in Montpellier. That's his only quarterfinal on the year uh, at on, in a hard court match at the ATP level. Now you look for him in his career, nineteen and sixteen, and of course last year at the two indoor hard court events in Cologne, he made semifinals and quarterfinals back to back respectively. Did make the round of sixteen at last year's U.S. Open as well. This is just indicative of the slide in his confidence. He's going through a rough patch right now, and you look for Davidovich Fokina, again, overall in the season, it's been a year of progress. You look for him against opponents ranked outside the top 100, though, 8-6, and six. like, that, that should be a better number for him. You look for him against opponents ranked inside the top 100, 18 and 15. Now against top 50 opponents, he's 9-12, and 12. and against top 20 opponents, 4-6, and six inconsistencies have played Davidovich Fokina. That's what the numbers tell us. That's certainly what the recent slump he has been on suggests. And look, he's a guy who can do so many different things. And that's why he is such a fascinating player. Davidovich Fokina, 21 years old, uh, still, uh, or excuse me, 22 years old, still, um, he was one of the guys we focused on last offseason as one of the guys we thought could potentially make a big jump. And certainly through the French Open, it looked like he might do that because simply put, even though he's not the 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", that so many of these modern players are, he's got that springy, quick twitch athleticism that you just need to have 
in modern tennis, and there's no issues for him from a fluidity standpoint moving in the outer thirds of the court and his ability to create depth, pace, angle in those outer thirds, his ability to you know hit a ball on the run, his ability to incorporate variety, his comfort level moving forward. He's got a flair for drama as well. When Davidovich Fokina is at his best, he's a shot maker. And you know again, physically, similar profile to that of a David Goffin, where it's just solid off of both wings, has potential power to spring through and hit winners down the line when you're not expecting it if you fall asleep if you're lulled in the rally but to execute that degree of game style takes a high level of focus and it just you know again there have been too many points this season where Davidovich Fokina hasn't displayed that level of focus and as such particularly of late he struggled to just find his form and when you go through a dip when you're this young there's no denying it's going to affect your confidence and so for Davidovich Fokina I think it's a really tricky matchup for him against a guy in Stevie Johnson who's at the exact other end of the curb. Now, Stevie's 13-17 and 17 number pales in comparison to what Davidovich Fokina has accomplished this season. You look for Stevie, he's ranked 82nd right now in the rankings. Again, obviously, that trails where Davidovich Fokina is at. You look for Davidovich Fokina, 32nd in the points race for Steve Johnson. He's 114th in the points race. There's a reason Davidovich Fokina is the favorite tomorrow, and yet... I think you can make a pretty convincing case for Stevie. You look at him since the start of the North American hardcourt swing. Quarterfinals in Los Cabos, knocked out by Taylor Fritz. Fritz then gets him again, three sets, round of 16 in Atlanta. He makes the quarterfinals in Washington, gets Alex Diemenauer before getting knocked out by Yannick Sinner, you know, beats Martyr before losing in four to Gael Monfils, second round of the U.S. Open. But Stevie's a guy, so again, he's on the rise here of late, but he's also a guy who's spoken openly about how miserable he was playing bubble life and quarantine tennis in 2020. And this is a guy who has always thrived on the crowd energy. And he's talked about just his excitement and why it's fun for him again to be back on court and, you know, be playing these matches. He's not saying it was ever not fun, but just the the level of fun is just back at its peaks. And he's a guy who's embracing it. And of course, Stevie Johnson, greatest college tennis player in history, did it at USC. He's back on his home turf in California. You look for Stevie Johnson, the success he has had at Indian Wells is overwhelming. You look for him, obviously, as I mentioned, he won the Indian Wells Challenger last year and just you know, or two years, or I guess it was last year, because it was in 2020. And, you know, for him, that was on his way to keep him in the top 100 was a clutch win in front of a full crowd on a court he knows well. And you just look at his losses at Indian Wells over the last five years, or the last five times the events was played. He beats Taylor Fritz in 2019 before losing to Shapovalov in straights. 2018 loses to an unseated guy by the name of Daniil Medvedev, six and four. I think we all agree that loss has appreciated in value over time. 2007 beats Kevin Anderson before losing 6-6 six and six to a guy by the name of Roger Federer. 2016 beats John Millman before losing 6-6 six and six to number 5 seed Kei Nishikori. 2015 beats Grenolier's, beats Karlovich before losing 4-2 to number 9 seed Tomas Burdich. Stevie Johnson has just always played good tennis at Indian Wells, and you look for Stevie, obviously, an Indian Wells crowd that is going to be embracing him, but you look for him in terms of his numbers this season. Again, they're on the rise, depending on the metrics you look at. You look for him in terms of his break percentage, 17.2%. That's a full percent above his career average. And if you just watch him hit the backhand return right now, he's finding better depth. He's hitting it more comfortably. You look for him 
being more aggressive with the second serve. Now it's led for him, his double fault percentage has increased, but you know, 53.8% second serve win percentage, that's a percent and a half above his career average. He's, you know, a little bit down in the first serve percentage, but the first serve win percentage is right around his career average, above his career average this year, an ace percentage, slightly below his career average in hold percentage, but a lot of that has to do with his tough results here to start the season. Stevie's just been a lot better. The eye test suggested, the metrics suggested as well. He's been a different player here during this North American hard court stretch. And again, it's the it's the discrepancies in confidence. Stevie's playing better. He's back on a surface. He knows well in front of a crowd he loves. Versus a Davidovich Fokina who enters this match, you know, again, just unsure of where his game is at and unsure of what he needs to be doing to find success on the court. And that's the kiss of death. In, uh, indecision, indecisiveness against Stevie is going to get you killed because A, to knock off Stevie Johnson, just look at the, the players who have beaten him. You see Fritz, 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 Sinner, Anderson. Those are all guys who have that overwhelming first serve, Popperin even as well, that are just going to fire serves into the backhand. And no matter what Stevie tries, even when he knows it's coming, the backhand slice return, you can only do so much with that block return. And all of those guys are going to get first forehands or looks at plus one balls that they can capitalize and that's the you know the pre- the premise of their games when they're playing their best. That's not the case for Davidovich Fokina. Davidovich Fokina is a guy who wants to make matches physical, who wants to be playing in the outer thirds of the court, who wants to create angles for himself before opening up the down the line, moving forward behind that, or hitting the on the run ball behind you that you least expect. And I just think Stevie does a good job of minimizing those opportunities with the decisiveness that he plays with, because you know for Stevie. Add side, kick serve out wide, plus one forehand to the open court, whether that's behind you if you're recovering too fast, whether that's just inside into that open deuce side of the court. You know the plays Stevie's going with. You know he's going to try and incorporate the, Steve, uh, the serve and volley. You know he's going to be looking for forehands at each and every moment. And while Davidovich Fokina doesn't hit a bad rally ball, I just think Stevie's going to have opportunities to find those forehands. And I think when Stevie plays the backhand slice, Davidovich Fokina is not going to capitalize and pound that ball. Davidovich Fokina is going to try to play with his food a little bit, play slice back, play some drop shots. And that's just not what you want to be doing against Stevie because Stevie is a guy who thrives in the outer third of the court when you least expect it. He's going to come up with one of those forehand whipping down the line passing shots or that short angle cross court or that backhand slice that just trickles over the net and makes life difficult for you. I think Stevie in this crowd with his recent form, again, with the adjustments he can make, I don't think Davidovich Fokina, the way a sinner can, the way a Fritz can, can just pound that backhand quarter consistently with depth and pace. I think Stevie's going to have opportunities to find plenty of forehands. And again, I just think his confidence in the end gets him over the hump here, over a, a, a shaky Davidovich Fokina of late. And so, you know, again, even though the advanced metrics, the odds suggest Davidovich Fokina, give me the upset special. Give me Stevie J to pull off the victory. Now, I think... I honestly think he'd be fine in three sets, but I think he takes the first set, seven, six, and a breaker, and then I think he runs away with the second set, six, two, and just plays front foot tennis and swings through confidently. And again, this is a place he wants to be, back at Indian Wells, back on his home turf, playing Masters and Vets in front of crowds. Stevie's always going to draw big crowds when he's playing in California. Give me Stevie J straight set upset victory 
over Davidovich Fokina to conclude your Thursday night matches. But with that in mind, that is your match of the day. Now, I missed some stats, but of course, they just haven't played that many matches. You look for Stevie in that 13 and 17 stretch against opponents ranked outside the top 100. He's 5 and 5 against top 100 opponents, 8 and 12. Again, he just. I think 13 and 17 speaks for itself. I did run through those metrics for Davidovich Fokina. He's been across the board. You just never know what you're going to get from Davidovich Fokina. He's one of those guys, you know, he's got a plan B. He's got a plan C. He's got a plan D. He can do a little bit of everything. But what is plan A for Davidovich Fokina? What does his best tennis look like? That's certainly a question we're going to get to see perhaps answered as he's going to have to be decisive to knock off, in my opinion, a rounding back into form Stevie Johnson. But again, that's your nightcap. Johnson versus Davidovich Fokina. Moving forward, of course, these match of the day segments going to be exclusive to our Patreon listeners. If you are interested, you can find more information on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, we'll have GSP ace of the day picks for you each evening as well on our Great Shot podcast feed. Recaps every morning on this mini break podcast feed. Like, rate, subscribe, review to each of our podcasts so that you don't miss out on any of the action. And of course, if you need the media updates throughout the day, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I'm at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleener and Danny Westoff, for the of any job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for super producers Fleener and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back.